0: The word of God today comes from the book of Mark, uh, chapter 1, verses 35 to 45. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out, and he began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. But he was out in desolate places. The people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true. And it's given to us in complete love.
1: Well, good morning. Move this back. In 2006... I attended a Christian counseling conference in Nashville, Tennessee. Over 3,000 counselors gathered together from all over the world to be encouraged and to be challenged by folks like Dan Allender and Larry Crabb and Dr. Mark Laser. And in the evenings, what we would do, we would all gather together for a time of worship. And there was always a keynote speaker. And one of those speakers was Ann Graham Lotz, the daughter of Billy Graham. I had heard Ann speak when I was a freshman at UNC, so I was excited to hear from her. But I have to confess, when she began to talk and she told us that the title of her sermon was Just Give Me Jesus, I was a bit disappointed. It's not that I didn't believe that Jesus was central to our faith. I just thought that this is your opportunity Anne. your opportunity to encourage and challenge thousands of counselors who are on the front lines with people every day listening to their stories and walking through some of the most difficult times in people's lives and all Anne had for us that evening. Was to call us to focus on Jesus. It just felt too trite to me. But as she began to walk us through the story. Of the raising of Lazarus. And kept pointing us back to Jesus. Over and over again. My cynicism began to melt. She wasn't saying that the use of Gestalt and object relations therapy weren't important. She wasn't saying to throw out active listening and to abandon story work. All those things are very, very helpful in the healing process. But what she was reminding every one of us in the room that evening is that the ultimate answer to all of our problems in our lives and in this world is Jesus Christ. The root of racism is sin. And the problem of sin is inherent in every human being born on our planet. Therefore, to say that racism is systemic is really an understatement. Racism exists in the hearts of every sinner in the world, which would include all of us. But, and I love that there's a but here, but Jesus Christ entered into our world. He died on a cross and he rose so that he might break the dominion of sin in our lives, so that he might provide forgiveness. Jesus Christ is the ultimate answer in the counseling room, and Jesus Christ is the ultimate answer to the horrific events that happened to George Floyd. And the horrific violence that we've seen carried out against store owners across our cities and throughout our country. So I believe God has providentially called us to the book of Mark during these turbulent times because Mark calls us to set our eyes on Jesus Christ. And this morning, as we look at our passage found in Mark 1, verses 35 through 45, I want us to consider two things about Jesus. First, the priority of prayer in Jesus's life. And secondly, the power of preaching and demonstrating the gospel to our world. Pray with me. Father, I would ask this morning that you would calm our hearts, Lord, as we are at home Would you help us to hear from you, to hear from your word? And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take your word and transform our hearts this morning. Give us ears to hear. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to encourage you at home to take out your Bibles to Mark 1, verses 35 through 45, or you can look in your bulletin. And the first thing that I want us to consider is the priority of prayer in Jesus's life. It is in times like these that we all want to act. I've talked to many of you and you've asked, what can I do? What can we as a church do? And while there is certainly a time for action, what we learn from Jesus's life is that we must first Round ourselves in prayer. Mark tells us earlier in chapter one that Jesus had already performed miraculous acts of healing. And as a result of all the miracles, people were coming from all over to see Jesus. Mark says they brought to Jesus all who were sick or oppressed by demons. The whole city was gathered together at his door. They there were literally wall-to-wall people wanting to see Jesus. But what is so surprising that at the height of the demand, at the height of Jesus' productivity, instead of continuing to heal those who were asking for it, Mark tells us in verse 35 that Jesus left everyone and went to a desolate place. Place and prayed. When it was still dark outside before others were even awake, Jesus, he got up and he went out to a desolate place, which in the Greek is the same word that Mark used earlier for wilderness or desert. And so while in the wilderness, Jesus, he turned his face toward his heavenly father. And he prayed to him. Jesus understood that the most important thing he could do wasn't to continue to heal others and cast out demons. The priority for Jesus was to spend time talking to and listening to his Abba, his Papa. And and you might be wondering uh, this morning. The same question that I've been asking all week as I've studied this text. Why prayer? And I believe there's, there's many reasons, but for the sake of time, I, I just want to focus on three. The first is, I believe Jesus went out to a desolate place and prayed because he saw it as an opportunity to seek wisdom and guidance in regards to where to go and what to do as he embarked on a new public ministry. Jesus' heart is always to do the Father's will. And just like he sought wisdom in the Garden of Gethsemane pertaining to the road to Calvary, Jesus stole away from the demands of the crowds who wanted to chart their own path for him so that he could hear his Father's voice in leading. Not my will be done, but thy will. Is the echo of Jesus's heart. Now a second reason why I believe Jesus prayed. Is that he longed to intercede on behalf of those around him. I believe Jesus took time away to bring each person before the father. And to intercede on their behalf. Jesus the good shepherd. He knew his sheep. Intimately. And he intercedes for them. And so why does Jesus pray? Jesus prays to align his will with the Father's will. Why does he pray? He prays so that he might intercede for the needs of those around him. But thirdly, and I believe most importantly. That Jesus stole away to pray. To orient himself. In the bosom of his Father's love. Earlier in Mark chapter 1, we see as Jesus is coming out of the waters and the Holy Spirit descends, you see the veil between heaven and earth broken, and you hear the Father saying these words You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Tim Keller says, The Father spoke infinite love into Jesus, and now Jesus Christ is back to hear these words of love once again. Jesus steals away and he prays so that he might get God, not just to get things from God. The power of Jesus Christ's life is the joy of his sonship. Prayer roots him in his father's love. Prayer grounds him. Prayer guides him. Prayer empowers him. Prayer gives him purpose and direction. And so while the needs of those around him were great, Jesus understood that there was someone even greater that he needed to connect with. And so he stole away to the wilderness, to a quiet place. So that he might talk to his Abba, to his father. Now, if Jesus, who was perfect in every way, needed to connect with his heavenly father. How much more do we who are flawed need to spend time praying and grounding ourselves in our father's love before we go about our days? As I mentioned earlier, the pull for all of us right now is to go out and do something to help eradicate racism in our city. And while there is a time and a place to peacefully protest and to listen to our African-American brothers and sisters and, and to do acts of kindness and love toward those who are different. Mark is telling us that like Jesus, we must first rise very early in the morning. While it's still dark. And go to a desolate place. And pray. I want to share with you a portion of a letter. From a dear pastor friend of mine out in Berkeley, California. And Berkeley, as you know, is well known. It's got a rich history of standing up against injustices in the world. And he wrote this to his parish this week. Jonathan writes, I hope you will be able to take some time for fasting and prayer this week in the wake of 100,000 COVID related deaths in our nation and the outcry of accumulated, accumulated injustice and grief sparked by the tragic and outrageous death of George Floyd. I realize this may sound too passive when we feel the need to be active. I want to affirm the need for action in reaching out to allies, speaking up online, participating in peaceful protest and having crucial conversations about racial justice and reconciliation. Yet, I also want to affirm that action without contemplation, protest without prayer, conversations with one another, yet absence of conversations with God will not take us very far or prove very effective. If we want to be a community of peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The path is made clear in the, in the previous and ungirding beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness the merciful, the pure in heart. If we want to live according to this peacemaking way of Jesus, he makes clear in the rest of his Sermon on the Mount that there are hidden roots which sustain the manifest fruit and invisible foundations which hold up the visible structure. The roots of our trees are rebar of our house are threefold. Giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. These are the essential ingredients and actions for being and becoming a beloved community of peacemaking. Peacemaking in this moment will necessarily involve more than this, but it will certainly not require less. Just as Jesus stole away to pray, If we want to be agents of change in our world today, we need to make prayer a priority. It is in the darkness of the early morning as we are on our knees that our hearts are reoriented with the father's will and love for us. It's not our will be done. It's God's will be done. In and of ourselves, we cannot love those who are different. But it's God's love in us that will cause us to repent of our racism and move toward those who are different with love and grace and tenderness. It is in the wilderness where God transforms us and therefore transforms the world. If we want to bring about change in our cities, and our world, if we want to defeat racism, it starts with you and I getting on our knees and letting God have his way with us. And transforming us. And so before you act. Will you seek his face this week? Will you ask him to expose whatever prejudices exist in your own heart? All revival begins with repentance and prayer. All revival begins with repentance and prayer. And so, will you still away today with your heavenly Father? So, as we look at this passage this morning, the first thing we see about Jesus is that Jesus makes prayer a priority. The second thing that we learn is the power of preaching and demonstrating the gospel to our world. Throughout history, we've seen many in the church who emphasize the ministry of word at the exclusion of the ministry of deeds and vice versa. But what we see in the remaining verses of our passage this morning is that Jesus' ministry was one of word and deed. I mean, take a a look at our text. Mark tells us that when Simon and the other disciples found Jesus, they told him that the crowds of people were looking for him. Understandably, the people wanted Jesus to stay to meet their needs. But look at what Jesus says to them. He says, I've got to keep moving. We need to continue on to the next town where I am going to feed you. I'm going to feed you. By the preaching of the word. To all who listen. Jesus didn't come only to heal the sick of their physical diseases. He came to heal the world of their sin. He came preaching the good news. That we are all born into sin. We are all flawed. And we all desperately need his saving grace. This is not. A message that many of us want to hear. And it's certainly not a message that those in the mainstream media want to talk about as a reason for such horrific injustices in our world. But Jesus says, I need to keep moving from town to town to preach the truth of the gospel, to preach the word of God. For it is by hearing and believing the preached word that men, women and children are saved And they're set free from the chains of racism. They're set free from their sin. And they're given a new heart that is capable of loving and ascribing dignity to all mankind. Regardless of race, socioeconomic status or gender. So if we want to change our city and therefore change our world, we too need to join in the ministry of the word. We need to first preach the gospel to ourselves and be committed to meditating on it and obeying God's word. Then we are to take the ministry of the word out into our neighborhoods and into our workplaces, and into our schools. Transformation comes as the Holy Spirit uses God's word to convict our hearts of sin and cause us to repent and turn to him. If we want to eradicate racism in our city, hearts need to be captured by the love and grace of God. And the revolution that Jesus started nearly 2000 years ago consisted of the ministry of the word. But as we look on in verses 40 through 45, we see that Jesus's ministry did not stop with the word. His ministry was also a ministry of deeds. Mark tells us that there was a leper and he came to Jesus and he was imploring him and kneeling. He said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, now let me pause here for a second, because we read what the leper did approaching Jesus and we don't think much about it. But the truth is, the leopard, he showed tremendous courage and faith through his actions. Leprosy is a horrific skin condition in which a person's skin literally rots, killing the nerve endings. It is highly contagious. So much so that lepers, they weren't allowed to socialize with others. And as they entered the city, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean. And if they did touch someone, then they were allowed to be stoned to death right there on the spot. But what we see in our passage is a leper who risks everything in order to get an audience with Jesus. He doesn't stay on the fringes of the crowd, but instead he walks right through them, even with the threat of being stoned. And he approaches Jesus and he begs Jesus to heal him. And what I love about this story is that Jesus, who could have simply just spoken the words, you are healed and the man would have been healed. He doesn't do that. What does Jesus do? Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches the leper. He does the unimaginable, the unthinkable, the unbelievable thing. Jesus touches the leper and says, I will be clean. Jesus demonstrates his love not only by healing the man of leprosy. He demonstrates his love by touching the leper so that all who are watching will see that this man is no longer unclean. He can be restored to the community. Can be restored to his family and friends. This is the ministry of deeds. Putting your own life at risk. For the sake of others. Being willing to catch leprosy yourself. In an effort to care for. And heal someone who is sick. And it is this ministry of deeds. Along with the preach word. That caused the church. To catch fire around the world. As followers of Christ were the ones who entered the leper colonies to offer healing. They kept their doors open during the bubonic plague. So as to provide care for the sick. And they were always, always putting themselves in harm's way. In order to stand up for the dignity of others. And fight injustices. You know, one of the many things that I'm proud of our church is that we are a church that are committed, committed to the ministry of deeds. We are a church that cares about social justice. We are a church that takes it very seriously how we might love our neighbors during this pandemic and how we might stand beside our brothers and sisters of color in the face of such horrific injustices. You guys, y'all are amazing when it comes to the ministry of deeds. But let me say, as your pastor and as a fellow sinner. The area where I believe we as a church need to grow is in the ministry of the word. This starts with our own commitment to take advantage of every opportunity to hear the preach word. To study God's word on our own. To study God's word in our small groups. To align our lives. Not with what we think is right. Or what we want to do. But with what God's will is. And what he is calling us to do. I believe that we need... To take God's word out into our communities. We need to dare to have conversations with our neighbors. And season our words with salt of truth. And the gospel of grace. For as I said earlier. For change to occur in our world. For racism to be eradicated. We need Jesus to transform.